0: Good morning, everyone. It's hard to believe that somehow it is now November, which means, as it always does, that Thanksgiving and Christmas are just around the corner. And just like everything else this year, the holiday season is shaping up to be dramatically different than what we're accustomed to. Advent is the season where we remember God coming to dwell with us in the person of Jesus. It is very much the season of God with us. And that is something that feels particularly significant during this time of isolation and quarantine, and during a holiday season that will very likely be devoid of many, if not all, of the experiences and rhythms and relationships that are such a familiar part of everything that we celebrate at this time of year. And because of all of that, this year we are extending our Advent teaching series in order to more fully sit with and appreciate the beauty of Jesus with us. Both the story of Jesus' coming, as well as the stories from his life that we find in the pages of the Gospels profoundly reveal that while Jesus was fully and completely God, he also fully experienced humanity in a way that makes him no stranger to all that we experience, which is definitely good news as we navigate life in the pandemic. And so this year, our series for Advent is entitled No Stranger. And over the next seven weeks, We'll be exploring not only the story of Jesus's coming, but also stories that highlight the withness of Jesus, stories that highlight Jesus's empathy with our human experience and the peace and the hope that they offer us during this season. Well, 2020 has certainly been a year unlike any other, unprecedented. Strange. Surreal. Bizarre. Troubled. Polarized. Those are just some of the words that are regularly used to describe this year. We've experienced the outbreak of a global pandemic, which is surging again across most of the United States, as well as in Europe, where a number of countries are beginning to lock down again. We've experienced civil unrest over racial injustice. There's been economic uncertainty. There's been the tremendous political divisiveness leading up to this week's election. There have been historically catastrophic wildfires that have brought devastation and displacement to so many in our state. Suffice it to say, 2020 has been a dark, and tumultuous year, and in that regard, it's actually surprisingly similar to the time of Jesus's birth. Luke begins his account of Jesus's life by very deliberately rooting it in its historical context. Luke chapter one, verse five begins, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Those first few words in the time of Herod would have certainly stirred up a lot of things for the original hearers of Luke's Gospel. Herod the Great was a client king under the established system of Roman government who had regional power as the king of Judea but was still very much under the authority of Rome. Herod's family acquired power in the region, beginning with the takeover of Jerusalem by the Roman general Pompey in 63 BC. And Herod himself was both ambitious and power hungry. And he eventually gained the support of Rome and by 40 BC was the reigning king of the Jews. The Jews, however, did not accept Herod because his father was Idumean. He was from the land south of Judea, Edom, where the descendants of Esau had settled, which is why the Roman historian Josephus described Herod as a half-Jew. And that meant that Herod didn't have the ancestral right to be a Jewish king, and pretty much everyone knew it. And so as a result, Herod never really felt secure about his position, which fueled the reputation that he had for being paranoid and violent. Herod was constantly suspicious that treason and insurrection were afoot, and built multiple fortresses around the region for protection. He was notorious for murdering people that he didn't like, including even members of his own family. Herod, in fact, executed at least seven members of his own family, as well as more than 100 of his political rivals, in order to protect his own position. Herod slaughtered children in the vicinity of Bethlehem in the time of Jesus' birth, and he killed the activists who destroyed the imperial eagle at the temple gate. Not surprisingly, all of that paranoia and all of that violence dominated the cultural landscape. And Josephus described this period as a time of unrest throughout Judea, as Jewish nationalists attempted to restore Jewish law and rule. And so Jesus, entered into the world during a time of intense political and social unrest in Israel. From the moment of his birth, he was no stranger to chaos. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah proclaimed the hope of a great light dawning in the darkness of Israel's despair. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 continues. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And so Isaiah looked forward to a future king who would come in the form of a child and who would be called the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. But the Hebrew word Shalom is wonderfully rich. It doesn't simply mean peace in the sense of welfare or tranquility or the absence of conflict it also points to something better. It refers to something being restored. Something being restored to a sense of completeness or wholeness. Something else that makes shalom so rich is that it encompasses relationships. It has a social dimension. And so bringing shalom has to do with reconciling broken relationships. It has to do with restoring relationships. And so in the scriptures, when rival kings make peace, when rival kings make shalom, it doesn't simply mean that they stop fighting. It also means that they start working together for each other's benefit. This is the kind of thing that Israel's kings we supposed to cultivate, but it rarely happened. And so Isaiah looked forward to the king who would one day come, whose reign would bring shalom with no end. Well, on the night of Jesus's birth, Luke tells us that as some shepherds were out in the fields tending their flocks, an angel of the Lord appeared. And the light of God's glory shone around them. And the angel says to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord this will be assigned to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising god and saying glory to god in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests and so we hear in those verses that god lit up the night sky with his glory to announce the arrival of the Messiah. The Savior, who had been promised by the prophets, had come. And the angel's announcement to the shepherds confirms that he was indeed coming, just as Isaiah foretold. He was coming as the Prince of Peace. He was coming to bring peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. And so, as we celebrate Jesus's coming this year, we remember that Jesus entered into a world of turmoil and discord, and he entered into that world of turmoil and discord as the Prince of Peace in order to bring shalom in all of its fullness. He came to reconcile and restore our relationship with God and to reconcile and restore our relationships with one another. And the events of this past week have once again demonstrated that there is a palpable need for peace in our world today in terms of restored relationships. You know, this week's. Presidential election is the culmination of a period of really incredible divisiveness and polarization in our country. So many people that I've talked to have expressed the desire just to get through this week. And I have to admit, I've felt the same way myself, as if somehow there may be some semblance of peace on the other side of all of this. But of course, the reality is the election is not going to end the chaos. As I'm recording this message, we still don't know the results. Votes are still being counted. But what we do know pretty clearly is that regardless of the outcome, we remain deeply, deeply fractured as a country. And in the midst of that, there's an opportunity for us as followers of Jesus to shine God's light into the darkness by bringing peace. And the most powerful place for that to start, actually, is with each other. And a passage that has been on my heart this week is Jesus's prayer in the upper room for all believers. Jesus prays this beginning in John chapter 17, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. And he's referring there to his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me." And so Jesus prays there that everyone who believes in him will be brought to complete unity. Why? So that the world may believe so that the world will know that God sent his son Jesus as an expression of his love. And so, our unity with one another as the body of Christ, both our unity with one another as the highway community, and and really, even more significantly, our unity with other Christians more broadly, makes God's love known in the world. God's love is unmistakably seen, Jesus says, in the unity of all believers, and that's why Jesus's prayer is is so fervent and so earnest here. That Jesus's heart, as he prayed this prayer, looking toward the future, is that there would be a unity in the very midst of the vast diversity of his followers a unity that could only be explained by the work of God's Spirit among His people. And and therein lies the challenge. Because I fear that we are are far from that as the Church in America today. To a great extent, as Christians, we have succumbed to the toxic nature of today's cultural discourse, which is so heavily and disproportionately focused on the differences that divide us. And whether that revolves around a political party, a presidential candidate, a position on an issue that we hold sacred, a perspective on COVID. And I have to confess that I've been guilty of that too. Jesus importantly reminds us that when we allow our differences to divide us and define the way that we view and think about and interact with, or maybe more accurately, don't interact with other Christians, it's detrimental to God's love being seen in the world through his people. Jesus came to bring peace to a world of chaos by bringing reconciliation and restoration to broken relationships. And we are called to do the same. And that is not easy. Peacemaking, bringing shalom, is hard work because. As we've noted, bringing peace is so much more than bringing a feeling. And it's bringing reconciliation and restoration and wholeness to relationships. But as Jesus' prayer importantly reminds us, when we sacrificially submit ourselves to that work, and when we humble ourselves, and set aside our pride and seek to see and listen to and understand other believers who differ from us, it makes God's kingdom visible in a beautiful and tangible way. Earlier that same evening that Jesus prayed for his disciples, he said this to them in John chapter 13, Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so, as we continue to navigate the ongoing chaos and division of, on the other side of the election. May we as God's people be captured by Jesus's mission of peace and his vision for the unity of all believers. And may we love one another well, with the same grace and the same mercy with which Jesus has loved us. Would you pray with me? As you think about Jesus's prayer for unity this morning and our calling as his followers to bring peace in our relationships. Where is God inviting you To bring peace in the body of Christ? Who is He inviting you to love? What relationship needs restoring? Maybe there's a specific person or persons who come to mind. Or maybe it's a group of people that perhaps you've categorized somehow, or that you struggle to understand their perspective or position on something as fellow believers. Or maybe it's a group of believers who, for some reason, you've not seen or appreciated as a part of the body of Christ? Where is God inviting you to bring peace in the body? Father, we thank you for sending Jesus into the world to bring peace. And Father, would you open up our hearts and our souls and our minds to the work that you are doing in us as we pursue the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace as your followers. Give us eyes to see the many beautiful things that we share in common. And would you give us humility and grace as we navigate our differences? Would your spirit be at work among us to be bringing about the unity and the love for one another that makes your love known in the world? And with the light of your glory be seen in the darkness through your people in an unmistakable and powerful way. Amen.